Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 42. So for all the new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Hans Gruber suit choices, how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stayed in shape on a diet consisting solely of pizza, and would Carrie Bradshaw be able to afford all those Manoa Blahnik uh, on a newspaper columnist salary. No quote is too minor, no plot is too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers, your border men's here. Woo, did the intro, that was my sixth or seventh take. All right, got it, it's all downhill from here. This is, this is the one, I don't have to stop, it's so nice. Because once you get past that, it's all downhill. So before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld level daily observations. So I looked down at my shirt today and I realized I've been wearing the same brand style shirt for about 90% of the past four months. And it's this off-brand knockoff Ralph Lauren brand called Polo Assassin. And it has this really derpy uh, polo guy on the left breast that's definitely a knockoff of, you know, the Ralph Lauren polo dude. It's slowly peeling off. And I own five of these shirts. I think I own one pink, one blue, two gray, and one black. And I bought them at JCPenney for like eight bucks a pop. And I've never loved an article of clothing more in in my entire life. I'm Golem and these are like my rings. I just want them. They're my precious. I just want them. And does anyone else have an irrational love of just a junky knockoff piece of clothing? There's something about it that makes it uniquely mine. It's just, it's Paddington 2 level comforting my soul. And if you haven't seen Paddington 2, by the way, you go, you need to see it right now. It's adorable it'll raise your spirit it'll put a smile on your face you can watch it with kids you can watch it with grandparents strangers homeless people cats dogs patrick ewing whoever you want like you'll all cry patrick ewing cries extra hard trust me and just just go watch it it's fantastic it's not a kids movie whoever says that is lying but uh it's just weird that these stupid shirts make me feel just fantastic I, even uh, I think it was like a year ago, a buddy of mine, Ava, uh, as being a friend, busted my chops about having a knockoff label because he's like, what the hell is that? You know, it's like, that's not Polo. I know what that is. And, you know, ha ha ha. And normally I kind of Howard Hughes and the aviator break from reality when I'm insulted in public. You know, I have a very fragile psyche. My mom raised a very sensitive man. Thank you, mom. I, I like that I'm sensitive. But once in a while, if I get insulted or things go wrong, I pretty much shatter into a a million billion pieces, but uh, this time that insult kind of harmlessly fell to the floor. It kind of bounced off me, you know, rubber and glue situation we're talking. And maybe that's the confidence of aging. You know, I am 34, so maybe, you know, a small insult about my clothing doesn't send me tailspinning anymore. Or maybe these shirts are magic, like in some terrible 80s switcheroo kind of movie. I don't know, but either way, I refuse to wear much else. So these are, these are what you're getting. They're good looking too. I mean, if you want a picture of them, I will send you a picture. I look, I look good. I look kind of like Bobby Axelrod in Billions in one of his overpriced, douchey billionaire shirts, but it's eight bucks and I just enjoy it. And in other news, I ate two full bags of carrots <laughs> two nights ago. And I told my girlfriend Selena that last night. And her reaction to my weird eating habits is like my favorite thing ever. It's just hilarious. She kind of deadpans at first. Like, how could this be? Or how does this person 
consuming like this. And then you can see this internal conflict going on in her brain. And she kind of eloquently states, she's like, I don't know how to respond to such healthy addictions. <laughs> and neither do I. It's really strange, you know, that I just like shoveling vegetables or fruit in my mouth because, you know, that's all I got in my house. <laughs> and we spent like 10, 15 minutes laughing and Google searching the hazards of high intensity carrot intake. And the results were, I think I'm in the clear. I have, it's, you can have an overload of uh, vitamin A, but I think I'm good. And my skin isn't orange, but I'm feeling energetic. And I got a funny 15 minutes with Selena. So it's wins all around. So everyone eat your carrots. Eat lots of them. I get the kind that are like purple, yellow, and uh, and orange. Obviously, <laughs> I forgot that they were orange. Uh, and, you know, the baby ones are just poppable. I was eating so many of them that when I would toss one to my dogs, like I would toss like the little end part. And don't worry, I checked. The, Carrots are really good for dogs, and they were loving them, but by the end of it, they loved chewing them, but they couldn't keep eating them because they were full, so they would just spit them on the floor, and I had to spend like 10 minutes cleaning up, but it was fun. It was like a good bonding experience, but uh, today's, today's real topic, which is not carrots. <laughs> no, actually, today's topic is top 10 carrot-based movies. It was a hard choice, actually, you know, with all those carrot-based movies out there, but seriously, today I wanted to talk about friendship. The bond that ties us all together on this crazy blue marble. There's nothing better than a shoulder to cry on, an ear to bend. Someone who endlessly has your back when life power bombs you on the wrestling mat of life. And by the way, best power bomber of all time, it's definitely Undertaker. You know, I can't believe he retired this year. He'll be back. He's always back. But he had this move called The Last Ride. And man, I miss The Undertaker. And I miss wrestling. I miss being a booger-eating nine-year-old just glued to Thursday Night Smackdown and screaming for grown men in spandex. Uh, maybe I'll do a wrestling, like a classic 90s, 2000s wrestling kind of vibe uh, podcast at some point. That's a good idea. That's, that's entertainment. That's TV. But anyways, friendship. We're in friendship right now. So friendship. We admire it. We adore it. We love watching it as it exists on our television screens. So I'm giving the top five friendship duos on the small screen of all time. You like that? Man, I love this microphone because when you get close, it's like, you sound very important and you sound crystal clear. Should I, should I be this close all the time? It feels like it's too much. It feels ASMR kind of like, you're feeling very sleepy. You can listen to my voice like this. No, I can't do it. It's too creepy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be farther back. And once in a while for a fact, I'll lean in like this. Man, that's creepy. <laughs> I'm giving myself goosebumps. Okay, so uh, top five friendships. <laughs> and I didn't want to overlap friendship tropes because that's no fun. So I'm dishing out categories based on all-time best bud stipulations. Because you don't want to draft Kobe Bryant with Michael Jordan on the team. You know what I mean? You need complimentary players and variety is the spice of life. Like if someone asks for your top five restaurants of all time, if you really think about it, it's really five steakhouses probably for the quality of food and the experience. But you're going to give an Italian, you're going to give a Chinese, you're going to give sushi, you're going to give a variety because, you know, we like to shake things up. You're not going to want to go to steakhouses for five meals in a row. Although that wouldn't be bad either. But uh, so I wanted to map out as many friendship genomes as, you know, the TV allowed me to. So here we go. First, I went classic cop duo because this is a tried and true television formulation. You know, differing investigation techniques are the most fun to watch. There's so many styles. There's the straight laced rookie and the veteran that doesn't play by anyone else's rules. You know, he's hard drinking and he has troubles with his wife and the other one's like a born again Christian and you know they, they clash together good cop bad cop kind of vibe or you have the classic Sherlock Holmes tortured genius 
and the overqualified kind of Watson to them, who's the only person who can really wrangle in their, the brilliance of their partner. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't do those specifically for the one I chose. And I didn't do any Law & Order ones. Although, if I had to pick Law & Order, screw Stabler and uh, – what's her name? And Stabler and E? No, no, no. Stabler and whoever. I don't know. The SVU ones. That's what everyone goes with. I'm going Gorin and Eames. Gorin's and Eames from Criminal Intent are the best. But that's, that's not who I picked. But uh, for my dynamic duo, I'm going with a pair that has kind of a little bit of everything. I'm going Bunk Moreland and Jimmy McNulty of the HBO classic, The Wire. Now, Jimmy and Bunk are murder police in early, that's how they say in the show. They're like, police. I don't know why. I think that's a Baltimore thing. So this takes place in early 2000s in West Baltimore, which is one of the most violent, vicious drug sectors in the country. So what makes this friendship so dynamic? There's just this unspoken bond between the men. Just when they were working on a murder scene or an interrogation room, they're clearly inside each other's head. You know, they're finishing each other's sentences. They're playing off. If they're trying to make the person getting interrogated uh, anxious, they're just going to amplify what the other person's doing. There's just this unspokenness between them, which I love. They play off each other with ease and verbal grace. You know, it's almost like a play, like a ballerina, like they're ballerinas performing. It's just unbelievable. And there's this one scene in particular in the first season where they're looking at a cold case murder scene and for five or six minutes they're walking around the scene kind of looking you know doing measurements of guns uh checking where the blood splatter was all that kind of stuff but the only word they use the entire time is the f word that's all they use they use it 37 times over six minutes and only using the inflection and that single word they unravel what happened in the cold case murder and they solve it it's brilliant look it up i mean you look up like Bunk and uh, Bunk and McNulty F word scene, and you will see it. And it's just, it's one of the greatest scenes and most creative things I've seen on television. And instantly, you know that these guys have been partners for 10, 12, whatever, 15 years. I think they've been partners for like seven or eight years, actually, because McNulty was on the force for nine years when this show started. So they've been together a long time. And, you know, it doesn't even apply just to uh, the investigations. It's like when they go to the bars. You know, as cops do, the hard drinking, need to get the taste out of murder out of your mouth. When they go to, you know, pick up ladies, they have, like, numbers for what they're going to do. They're like, Jimmy, let me do the number three. So one, and one friend will act too drunk and kind of stumble up to a party of girls. And the other one is kind of the protector, shows how responsible he is and good friend. Or they do the number four, or one of them just lost their mom and they're feeling sad. And the decoy friend, whichever one it is, will slap the other one on the shoulder and be like, knock it out. Let's go. You know, kind of like a, like a dating coach. Like, get it out. Go. You can do it. And I just love that. And also, uh, they have these kind of therapy sessions down at the train tracks when a case is going wrong or their lives are falling apart or the marriage is falling apart. And they're just drinking Jameson, just peeing on the train tracks, uh, standing, sitting on cars, just talking about life, work. And, you know, you can just, you can feel the bond between the two of them. And I just love it. And they defend each other. They go to bat for each other with uh, the higher ups. Jimmy is kind of the drunk, the stubborn ass who can't, who can't bow to authority. And Bunk tries to keep him in line. And, you know, it's like there's almost a marriage kind of to them. You know, Bunk is more of the rational one and Jimmy's more the wild card. But they go back and forth. Uh, Jimmy can take care of Bunk once in a while too. So there's not, it's not like one definitional role. They kind of hit all tropes with each other and they can kind of conversely retroactively do the other side. 
and also they're viciously mean when they joke with each other and the you know they it's just as friends do you know you just rip on each other i don't know why that's a friendship thing but we love ripping on those close to closest to us you know knowing those little soft spots and just poking them those soft spots of the baby's head actually i take that back because uh I have a nephew who's got a little soft spot in his head. So everyone stay away from soft spots on baby's head, especially Jake. Shout out Jake, my nephew. He's looking good. He's like a month and a half old right now. And he is, he's, he's looking healthy. He did his first push-up yesterday. It was very cool. So next I'm delving into the realm of cartoons. Knee jerk. I wanted to do a Finn and Jake from Adventure Time, but I already did an entire pod on the last boy on earth and his magic yellow dog. So let's try new territory. And I just, I realized actually my new territory is also a boy and his dog. So whoops, I guess that's a pretty standard trope in cartoons, but who cares? Very different relationship. This is Brian and Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. And I guess you could call them sometimes frenemies, which almost is more fun. I kind of want to do a whole podcast on frenemies too, because that's a whole different category because the conflict and the one up up upmanship is different than true friendship. But that doesn't happen all the time. They kind of go into it once in a while. They were just relentlessly mean to each other. Like I said, Bunk and McNulty were. Like Stewie rips Brian for his, you know, being a failed rioter. He's just a left-wing, Prius driving, pot-smoking, pointless existence kind of guy. Brian Dixon is Stewie for his semi-closeted flamboyance, failed world domination plans, and his dependence on his mommy. It's just wonderful gags that go on for seasons on end. It's still, it's 18 seasons in, and I'm still, still intrigued and it's still fun. And they kind of have these moments of uh, realization where they realize they need each other and that they're just despicable people and no one else can truly stand them for more than an episode. So they kind of bond in their awfulness. They kind of take a bath in how terrible they are. And that's relatable. Once in a while we're like, ah, I suck, but at least my friends like me, at least, you know, John or Billy, or Bob or Cornelius is my friend and that's okay. And a kind of unique uh, spin on the friendship with uh, Stewie and Brian is they have singing adventures you know, on Family Guy. Like Seth MacFarlane, who created it, loves a good 1950s, 1960s Disney style song based adventure. And Stewie and Brian are usually the catalyst in their of this uh, kind of singing operatic kind of thing. And it's usually when they go on their world adventures. It's fun to look at too because uh, they're both only like one or two feet tall. And they have very different features. Stewie has kind of that Hey Arnold, big old noggin head with, you know, cute little feet and his little red overalls. And Brian's an all-white dog. I don't know. They just look fun together. They just look like, uh, like they're buds. And also, I mean, they, they, the situations they get into because of the cartoon and also because of the offensiveness of uh, Family Guy, they don't mind getting dirty. They get into serious fights. There's this one scene where Stewie's on steroids and he's like, where's my money? And he just beats the hell out of Brian with like, a shower rack and it's just it's basically mob level violence <laughs> they save each other's lives constantly and oh there's one bit where stewie just asks brian high-pitched questions about his novel he's like how's your novel coming hmm? you have a little bit of plot there a hmm? little bit of verbiage hmm? you know and just like that jackass kind of jabbing you in the ribs with an elbow kind of noise uh kind of high-pitched questioning it's just fantastic they've been in a panic room together for an entire episode and there's one, there's one episode where it's really hot uh, in the family's house and they're just laying, just like, you know, just laying out, just feeling gross, feeling sticky. And Stewie goes to Brian and is like, spit on me. And then Brian just instantly like spits on him. And then Stewie goes, tell me I'm filth. And Brian goes, what? And Stewie goes, hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, this just always makes me laugh, but that's a good friend that's going to spit on you when you're hot. 
and ignore, you know, your semi-gay pass at him <laughs> afterwards. Good stuff. So next, a lot more PG. Let's go best gal pals. And this is pretty much unquestionable. I'm going Leslie Nope and Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec. So the most enjoyable aspect of this relationship. So, so like, let's back it up first. Leslie is just this intense uh, government employee who's basically like ultra do-gooder, ultra super focused, ultra friendly, but wants to make the world a better place. And Anne is more the grounded, normal person that seems like she's from real life, that she's just a nurse. She's nice, but she's not trying to, you know, change the world. And that contrast between the two of them really just resonates. It's really fun. So the most enjoyable aspect of the relationship is that Leslie has this obsession with Anne. So we all know in our friendships, there's a bounce of power that tends to tilt one way or the other. You always know like, yes, Steve, me and Steve, I got the upper hand, but me and Ben, you know, Ben's, Ben's got it on me. So, you know, we all know that, you know, if come to your head, if someone said you and your friend, who has the power in the relationship? It's like, you'd both answer the right answer. I think if you were forced to, and the evidence of Leslie's obsession is fantastic. If she just has these pet names that she just has in a holster that she just fires at Anne, she's like, Anne, you beautiful tropical fish and you beautiful glowing sun goddess and you opalescent tree, tree shark and you cunning, pliable, chestnut-haired sunfish. And no, I'm not making these up. And you poetic and noble land mermaid. I mean, like I said, Leslie is a force of nature in dedication and friendship. And Anne really makes her human. And, you know, Anne shares advice on dating because Leslie's like the worst at it. (laughs) And, you know, she'll take Leslie for a drink when she needs or like celebratory or sad waffles when she needs to vent. And she listens to her thousands of text messages and stride and kind of, she's kind of a calming factor in Leslie. Leslie would be flying off the handle. Leslie's a Ferrari in the red and, you know, uh, Anne kind of brings her back down to the yellow. And also Leslie uh, pushes Anne to be her better self. She gets her a health department job. She helps her by working on her city council campaign, Leslie's city council campaign. She like hires Anne to help. And plus they have this really cute second grade kind of relationship. You know, they make scrapbooks together, like really ornate ones too, with like glitter and looks like hours and hours were put into these things. And there's like hundreds of them. There's like random ones, like a Sandra Bullock based <laughs> uh, scrapbook about their discussions. And they have ice cream sundae tasting contests, which they fight about. They discuss like Oscar night, red carpet dress debates. It's freaking adorable. It's basically, you know, if grown up third grade girls on a sleepover with, you know, and just uh, in their jammies. This is what they're doing. And now I want to do the complete opposite of this relationship. This one is the silent bond of men of accomplishment in that unspoken kind of way. You know, that gunslinger at the edge of the bar with a five o'clock shadow, that Clint Eastwood looking guy who sees another gunslinger and just kind of gives him that nod, that little mm, acknowledgement, you know? And I'm going Gus Fring and Mike Hermantrout from Better Call Saul. Also, they were in Breaking Bad, but their friendship and their relationship really is more in Better Call Saul. And it's a joy to see these accomplished actors kind of playing hardened men, and they never really convey their emotions with words. And that's, that's strange to me in this day and age. You know, nowadays we get on social media, it's like, I had a bagel, or I'm feeling a little sad. You know, we say everything, and I'm guilty of it too. But uh, to have people that are like, screw talking about your feelings. You know what I mean? I got everything figured out. I got it all inside and I don't need to vent. So screw you. And it's like, yeah, these are, this is, this is the, you know, strong, silent American type that we love. And, you know, Gus is the drug kingpin and Mike is the kind of do it all mercenary. 
and they have this unbreakable level of respect and admiration for each other that I've rarely seen anywhere else on network television or any television really. Because we all want to be recognized for what we're great at. And with Mike and Gus, it's kind of this mirror uh, effect they're looking into that they're both low profile in their presentation and they're both productive, ruthless souls. And I don't think once in the show they've ever shared a drink or a hug or even a handshake, I don't think. Everything's just said in small nods and looks. It's just so unique. And when one, when, when one of them needs to finally express a concern about the business to the other one, it's taken with seriousness and it kind of, it affects them in a way that rarely they are affected by anyone else. You know, they don't care about anyone else's opinion, but this other expert in their field who they trust and know, maybe I can, I can say they love each other. I think, I mean, as much as two guys like this could love another man, but I think there's just something beautifully quiet about, you know, two older men in a very dangerous field, appreciating one another. Plus, I guess to talk about Breaking Bad, and I can't go an entire episode without mentioning Breaking Bad. I actually have a giant Walter White tattoo on my right thigh. It's huge. It's probably 12 inches by 7 inches. I don't know. I can't measure very well. I have no idea what the, what the measurements are, but it's big. But uh, finally, I want to go with someone I can relate to. These are the, the overgrown kids as adult relationship, a friendship. And this is an easy pick. This is Troy and Abed from Community. And if no one knows, it's uh, two college kids who do nothing on the show besides attempt movie class, like classic movie scenarios and TV plots over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> and at the end of almost every show, they do like this uh, morning show, Troy and Abed in the morning. And they're doing a morning show in the study room, but to no one. You know, they just have their coffee cups and their little seats and they have people come in, but they're doing it to seemingly no cameras. And they're just doing it for fun. It's just a great last minute bit. They built giant pillow forts and blanket forts and they had a civil war style fight due to it where uh, the towns were Fluffy Town and Pillowsville. And they're just, just, you know, the kids at heart kind of things. They sleep in bunk beds together. They never seem particularly interested in girls. They just want to watch movies and play video games and eat ice cream together. And they're much more inclined to watch kind of these bad movies and kind of enjoy them like kick puncher two, which apparently is a real movie where someone's punches are as lethal as kicks. And it's like a half robot. So I got to see that at some point point. An obscure 1950s British TV shows that they fall in love with. And they do nonsensical Spanish raps with Betty white. And that's, I mean, that's awesome. I'd watch the show just for that. They have matching Halloween costumes. One year they go as uh, they go as uh, alien well, from the movie alien, the alien, and uh, Ripley, you know what I mean, together in one of those kind of biometric suits. And that's awesome. And they're always quoting and reality isn't really there. It's kind of how I feel. It's how I want to feel. This is why I want to do this job because just to talk about non-reality stuff and just delve face first into TV and movies, like that's what they're doing. And they're doing it on a high scale. Like they get to, they did an entire episode where they kind of reenacted the Goodfellas plot, but with uh, chicken fingers and how they ran the chicken fingers uh, supply at community college. Like, I want to do stuff like that. I want to reenact dogma, my friend John Smith, and be two fallen angels who try to wage a war against God, but in a hilarious way. Wow, that movie's a lot darker, actually, if you say it out loud. Um, what's a light movie? I want to to have a Chuck Norris-like dream adventure where I learn kung fu in my dreams and become a nunchuck master, like in the movie Sidekicks. If you haven't seen Sidekicks, it's like the best 80s action 
silly kids coming of age karate movie. I mean, see it. It's awesome. And it's, it's not many people know it because it makes me feel cool that not many people know it. But more, more, more importantly, you should see it so we can talk about it. Yeah. Who am I talking to right now? <laughs> I feel like there's someone across from me. Maybe I should get a mirror right next to me so I feel like I'm talking to myself. That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. No, it might be a little creepy though. And then I might actually like develop a split personality. But that's like a movie trope I could run with too. So, eh, food for thought. So, uh, Troy and Abed. So, I mean, it's really cool. They have the secret handshake where they kind of double slap and slap their chest at the same time. Um, de- I've definitely tried that a few times with some friends. And they never take anything seriously. Life's a big game. I can't imagine a better imaginary friendship. You know what I mean? It's just like everyone wants out of the community show, which is a great show that people love a lot. The one thing they want for a movie is the Troy and Abed movie. So that just shows you. They kind of have this Bill and Ted level kind of buddy friendship where they could go on weird adventures together. It would make sense. So that's pretty much all I got. And I wish all of you Troys out there to find your Abed. And when you're at the bar, you have a Bunk Moreland buying the next round. And hopefully there's a Leslie Nope out there in your life calling you, a, I don't know, a majestic diamond-encrusted unicorn who shoots epic laser rainbows from their eyes. Because we all need friends like that, don't we? So I'm going to go call my friend and tell him I love him. You should do the same. Later.